Well, Richard, we've done it. Yes, we finished recording Trek About, and now we never have to do it again. We've made it to the end of the original series. And that's all the Star Trek there ever was. Did you think we'd make it? I did think we would not make it, but there were times that I felt it was very dark, like the... The the past three months? Yes, all of season three, the alternative factor. Um, Conscience of the King. Oh, God. Which, strangely enough, comes up in Turnabout Intruder this week. Well... Well, we'll talk to that. We'll talk about that when we get to Turnabout Intruder. Okay, which sounds like a Phoenix Wright episode, and it only makes sense that there would be a continuity uh, nod to an earlier game. So, all our yesterdays. Yes. It was something that we watched. Like yesterday, we never have to do it again. And Eric, in about 50 to 20 minutes when we were done talking about all our yesterdays, that's the last, and you'll have to edit, certainly, but that's the last time either of us will have to deal with all of yesterday, whatever the hell this thing is. Yesterday is tomorrow. I liked it well enough, oh. but it was very underdeveloped. I have to say, I started watching it yesterday. Yesterday. Um, and I was just in the middle of a lot of things, so I wasn't 100% paying attention. I looked down. Why, and, why, why would you need to? I Well, I have to say, I, I look up. They're in a library. I look down. I look up. They're in the Ice Age. I look up. I look, I look down. I look up. They're in the Three Musketeers. And at that point, I just figured, you know, I really just don't understand what the fuck's happening. Like, And I had to start it from the beginning. You really didn't miss much. It oh, wasn't, as I knew, as I found out. It wasn't a very complicated uh, piece of storytelling. Really? There were about 17 considered. different plots going on at once. Were there? Yeah, there's like, what's the one dude going? And, you know, oh my god, what's Kirk happening? And then McCoy's like, ah! And then Spock's like, I'm referring to my ancestors. And the woman's like, you could stay if you want. And then, you know, the old, old guy's like, I'm old. And then randomly he's fighting Kirk. Like, I, I, it just happened. It was just, I think they found some costumes in a trunk. I didn't. I didn't really get why the woman was in the ice age because they seem to sort of explain that she did, committed a crime or, or did something terrible, and they they sent her back as some sort of punishment, she and was, she was going to be alone, you know, for the rest of her life. And 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 I, I she, what she said was, you know, my kinsman had basically made a rebellion against the king or the whatever their leader, and. So because of – essentially she was an accessory to treason and she was being exiled for that. That was the uh, understanding I got. Okay. I mean I guess that's not super relevant to the episode at no, all. No. Th- I mean and, and that was the thing. Like they talk about this tyrant like it's going to be – like, and I figured, okay, well maybe he's behind everything because they mention him elsewhere. But he's just kind of her story which just – it's one of those where they meet a character from another series. Basically. And I guess and I guess that's really I mean all our yesterdays has the problem that so many third season episodes have where they 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 manage to come up with an intriguing premise at least. I mean I like the idea of a planet whose sun is going to to go nova and destroy the solar system and they don't have space flight technology, but they do have time travel technology, yeah. and so they just decide to go back in the past and and, and save make, themselves that way. And it makes That's, sense. You would, I would feel more comfortable in an earlier era of Earth history than I would on another planet, frankly. If I could go back to the 1970s and live if the world was going to blow up, okay, that's probably better than colonizing it somewhere else. 
I don't know if I would go that far. Hey, I could go to see like bands live in the seventies for like five dollars. Yeah. But the thing the thing about it is though is that instead of trying to tease out that idea to some sort of logical or satisfying conclusion, yeah. they don't do anything with it that's not extremely on the surface and then they decide that they have 50 minutes to fill and so they they sort of pile on other things that aren't really all that interesting and don't really have anything to do with the original premise of the episode and you know kirk's adventures in you know space france are kind of they don't really go anywhere and they're just kind of in there to kill 15 minutes of the running time because you couldn't have an episode of the show which was 45 minutes of mccoy and spock in an ice age yeah kirk just needed something to do and 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 characters change their minds at the drop of a hat because the plot needs them to there's the um the 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 guy in in space france who was like oh i think you're you're not a a guilty kirk man and then he suddenly is guilty because he doesn't want to be found out as a time traveler which makes no sense because of course what why would anyone in that past even know what time travel is? Yeah, and does Kirk look that interested in telling everybody, like, he's very openly just wants to go home? Right. and They they could very easily broker a deal in about five minutes, you know? I don't... Yeah. So he just sort of, you know, the, the priest changes his mind, you know, because he needs to, basically, or yeah. else we, the episode would not have ended. And there are certain other things about the episode. The you librarian know, the, randomly attacks and then is nice and then is evil and then is not. And it's like... Well, I, I, I actually did like that because that actually, I think, does make sense, right? Because the, the nice Mr. Atos are the, are yeah. the replicas and, and the, the real guy is kind of an asshole. So that, you know, made sense to me. And I did like how at least the episode it did have some attention to its own continuity because at the very end of the episode mr atos in the last few seconds before the the away party beams up to the, to the enterprise yeah. and, and warps out of there before the sun goes nova he sticks a, a disc in the machine and then just kind of like leaps through the portal so yeah. he can go be with his family so i did i did like that at least oh no there was and there were certain th- see it's funny this seems like more of an interesting premise for something else than it does an episode in and of itself it would be a very interesting way of characterizing a planet by starting it off by okay the you know these people need to escape into this planet's past and you could follow a group of you know half a dozen people and each of them chooses a different era and you know something like that could be an interesting i don't know novel or miniseries or something like that just to and again you characterize what's going on in each of these characters goes through a different significant era in the planet's history that could be fascinating yeah it would be but i but, think it would you take, know it would take too much skill and well, craft because the the, the well, person the thing, who wrote like, this episode obviously did not have enough imagination to come up with some sort of interesting you know alien society that yeah. would make that an interesting episode well that's uh, yeah they're basically earth except you know it's it's nice age which is nothing and it's the three musketeers but i mean and and again this this would be a better spin-off than a an episode sure i think the other thing that that you know is problematic about the episode of course is that when they first beam down to this planet and they find out that you know someone is there and they're they're asking questions but they don't really ask any of the right questions and they don't that that really bothered me because y- y- you would say hey where's everybody where did they go 
what what's going on here and yeah. instead they just sort of like are wandering around the library looking for answers just ask the dude who's there yeah it seems like they they, they have enough technology that even if they don't have he's you know atos or whatever his name is does not seem like the kind of person who would flip the fuck out and call prime directive violation on them saying well we're from another planet we were sent here to help are we done like is that it because if that was the case then you know he could say, all right, yeah, no, I'm, we're all fine here. I'm fine. I'm on my way. If you want to learn anything about our history, go ahead. But otherwise, yeah, you don't need to do anything. And why are they even there? Like, I, I what, mean, I what purpose? They, I figured they were there just to be evac help. Like, and They're going to evacuate like four billion people? Well, that was the thing. Like why it's only the Enterprise. Yeah. Um, and why wait until the sun was going to go Nova in three hours? Well, because that puts a hard time limit on the episode. No, it's season three-itis, you know? I think what's the most interesting about this episode is what happens to our boy Spock. Yeah, I was sort of dancing around that in my head. Uh, yeah, we 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 got to talk about this because at first I interpreted Spock's sudden change of emotions and actually smiling as one of the first non-creepy Spock is happy moments like He is genuinely stuck there as far as he knows. And, you know, this woman is the kind of qualities that Spock would find interesting. And he can... Why? Let's say it. She can just... I don't know. For the the sake of the episode. I don't... I don't... That's that's one of the problems I have with the episode (laughs) is that I don't see Spock being interested in her at all. I mean, Spock is not interested in women, really. er, I know, but when he sees her, they played like a little musical sting, and that shows that they have a chemistry. Um, The the episode... Yeah, and that's poor writing. That, that I will say, is poor writing that they haven't managed to... Poor writing in the third season? Right. Um... I do figure him, he does see that there is stuff to do when he says, oh, we could, Spock's a vegetarian, by the way, that's a thing? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. I, didn't know that that. Was, I think that was established in this episode. Okay. Which, you know, I... I it, it's, I'm not shocked at it. That's the one thing I think the episode does right is, is sort of the, the treatment of Vulcans, and it does have some sort of knowledge of what what Vulcans are, and, and it establishes new information about them that... You know, we don't know, but yeah. in retrospect, makes sense. You know, Vulcans probably would be vegetarians, and especially I especially see- going with the in the, this is the late sixties. Somebody who is vegetarian, you think, is very hippie earthy. You know. Very in tune with you know nature and philosophy. And I mean, I don't they, even I don't even I, think I, I don't even think it has to do with that. I just think I, it's 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 it, it, it's not logical to eat meat. Right, if you can avoid it, because yeah, that's fair. You know, Vulcans are are very protective of life and respect life in all its forms. And if they don't need to eat meat, then why would they? That makes sense too. Um, I don't think there's anything else to it than there. I don't think that the episode. Does, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think that the episode was making any sort of cultural, you know, uh, uh, point about vegetarianism in America. I didn't society. think. I mean, I didn't think it was a definite thing, but I thought it would might be a minor resonance at least. Um, Either way, um, when he does take the meat, he basically does say, well, this is basically – this is what we got available and I'll build a greenhouse. You know, it'll take some time. But in the meantime, um, I see him as getting – kind of making the best of a bad situation in this and poor McCoy for being left out. But 
then they go with this random juju of, well, it's you're reverting to the ancestral memory of where you were 5,000 years ago. and but, Yeah, and let's just come McCoy right out and say that. Not, it doesn't make any sense. McCoy is not where we're humans at 5,000 years ago. You that, know, like, that was my problem with it, where it was like, okay, if this is happening to Spock, why is it not also happening to McCoy? Coy and why except that it's not happening to her because let's say you know she's prepared yes they they do make a point of of this preparation thing which is fine but and but again neither McCoy nor Spock have been prepared exactly so one would assume that what would happen to one would happen to the other yeah and so McCoy should probably be be wandering around grunting at himself I mean that that basically is what people were doing 5,000 years ago maybe I don't know and here's Um, the other thing um Spock genuinely calls McCoy out finally on his xenophobia in a very, like, I don't really think I... McCoy runs up to him and basically is like, yeah, you green-blooded, pointy-eared asshole, you were trying to make us, and your Spock grabs him and he's like, I don't like you saying that, like, I I never have, and he just kind of walks away, and it's like, shit, like, finally, like... Well, he doesn't say, I never have. I think it's more interesting than that. He says, I don't think I ever have. And that has kind of a weird resonance to it because it it, it implies that it's not that Spock doesn't like it, but that Spock doesn't like it at this moment. No, I I would go a little more... Uh, more finely into that and I said Spock has finally realized at that moment that he doesn't like it. Sure, that could be too. Uh, you know, yeah, I yeah, say, I don't think I ever have. Like, he's starting to finally this idea is actually in his... I feel this is something that he's always pushed to the back because, well, no point in worrying about this, you know, no matter what. It doesn't really matter if McCoy is a xenophobe or not because, you know, he does know McCoy well enough to know it won't interfere with the job but... This is at the point where he's realizing, no, actually, that kind of sucks of him and, to do that. It's, this is the moment when he's actually dealing with it. And don't forget, this does come, you know, a few episodes after the episode where, where they thought Kirk was dead. Yes. And they, they sort of form this bond and these sort of things. So in that sense, I think it, it does make a little a little more sense. Yeah, it was the they did get closer, but there were some underlying issues they just at the time didn't have enough time to go through or didn't think they needed to go through. And then they're dealing with this now and it's dismissed as just, well, he's reverting to his barbarian roots. I think that was a legitimate moment for Spock that was kind of undercut by the reason behind it. Yeah, I mean, I get the sense in the episode and and I'm not sure that the episode really comes to any sort of, of conclusion about this or even really knows what conclusion to come to, but, but the, or what conclusions are, yeah. Or what conclusions are. I mean, I, I get the sense in the episode, at least that what, what Spock is going through is very akin to what happens in Pon Far. And mm. in, in Pon Far, it's, it's his, emo- like the Vulcan emotions come to the fore because it's this very, um, they're, they're very in control of themselves and very reserved most of the time. And they do have this mating thing that happens every seven years and they need to, 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 to have sex basically. And so they, this is very akin to that in that respect, I think. Well, what I think is interesting is perhaps it, I mean, the sense I get with Ponfar is that it's essentially everything is perhaps bottled up or restrained to the point, and then there was this point every seven years where the past seven years of emotion are cathartic. I mean, 
So that is why this this takes no, the place. No, I, I actually I actually disagree with you. Oh yeah, and uh, this is, the, I'm asking the question. The 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 understanding that I've always had of of Vulcans is that they are a much more emotional race than humans are, and they have very 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 strong emotions, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why. Uh, especially in this episode, you see Spock rever- reverting to what Vulcans were like 5,000 years ago. They were violent. They were savage. They were mean. But and, he's, and, not, and they he's were... not sadistic. He's not cruel. And he's not tyrannical. And I don't think the episode justifies saying, well, this is just the beginning. In six weeks, imagine where he will be. Like, he seems – Spock number Spock just finally has the gamut of emotions. And while he is, you, you know, a bit more angry towards – bones i don't i i don't think that he's being unjustifiably angry and i don't see him as now oh Brent, no oh no i'm 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 speaking more in terms of pon far i'm not speaking in terms of this yeah. episode okay and and what the sense i get okay. in in you know putting that aside i think what happens in this episode is problematic because i agree with you i think spock has legitimate grievances has legitimate concerns mm-hmm. i think this is actually what he thinks and the yeah. fact that he is reverting to his primal self or whatever bullshit hand wavy thing is going on in this episode um, is is more it's allowing him to express emotions that perhaps he has. And they come out very strongly because Vulcans in general yeah. have much stronger emotional reactions to things, which is which is why they, you know, we saw we saw uh, uh, Surak uh, last week who was the father of Vulcan logic. Yeah. And, you know, it, 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 it completely makes sense that, you know, Spock would be losing control, Vulcans would be losing control, and so a, a, a species that had such violent, violent emotions would have to come to some sort of, like, you know very, very over-the-top solution for this. Well, you know what it almost reminds me of, like, watching him in this episode? I mean, it's almost like a dude noticing girls for the first time through puberty. He is totally in lo- in love with this you know this first woman he sees and maybe that's more of it maybe it's not so much anything at her but maybe it's just she's not hard to look at and that could be too you know she's managed on her own for a while so that is you know that is tough and respectful and you know he just happens to fall in love with her because she's there um and yeah, and of I, course, when you're 16 and you're going through this for the first time, you are crazy. So, I mean, maybe Vulcan was just a bunch of crazy 16-year-olds with access to nukes. Like, that's almost what I get the sense of it is. So, Surak is more of a the cool authority figure. He was like, guys, we, 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 we gotta just calm down here. You know, this chill peace man. And, you know, that that seems almost... but. Yeah, all of the emotions that Spock has in this episode are genuine, and and I think are. and I think that 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 pairing him with McCoy in this episode yeah. is probably the smartest thing oh, that yeah. the episode does because, you know, if 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 you're watching this episode at this point, um, I mean, I think pretty much the only people that were watching Star Trek at this point were people that were fans of it, and so they they had the history, they they knew what McCoy and Spock's relationship had been like in the past, and. Having it in this episode, putting those two people together in this situation is an automatic tension creator in a way that the episode doesn't need to work super hard to pay off because even if it doesn't completely make a lot of sense, we kind of fill in the blanks for them. 
And put it this way, I mean, the episode does make a deal about they go through the gate together and they have to go back at the same exact time. Like, that. that's not a coincidence. That was a oh, nice yeah. touch. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I got the sense these are emotions that Spock would have, or does have even, but generally he doesn't... It's it's not relevant to deal without like whatever I've got work to do I can suck it up it's just you know feeling happy or just feeling sad like he's able to ignore his emotions if it if he didn't have this you know weird genetic memory thing going on I could genuinely see it as saying well I'm literally on in the ice age built you know thousands of years in the past. You know, as he says at the end, like, she's dead and buried, you know, long ago. Like, he views this he, – he he has a – the present is – he has a present-centric view of history. Yeah. And so, therefore, anything that's happening on this Ice Age doesn't really matter. It's just based on survival. And, therefore, you know, he has to be logic. He has to be duty all the time on the Enterprise because he's doing something for – the captain. He's doing something for Starfleet. He's doing something for other planets. Here, there's really nothing he can do except just fight with McCoy and have sex with Sue Ellen or whatever her name is. Zarabeth. Zarabeth. So therefore, it really doesn't... He, I, I kind of almost pict, pict, would have pictured him making a logical decision to let his emotions run for a little bit because what the hell else is he going to do? Well, I, yeah, I think that's true. And I think the, the, the clearest indication of that is at the very beginning when, when McCoy calls him out on giving up and not looking for a way back to the future. Yeah. And I think the implication there is, and they don't really tease this out, but I think the implication there is that once we learn what is going on with Spock, I think it's more that, um, his his emotions are already taking control and he doesn't want to go back because he's feeling he's feeling good here. Yeah. And he doesn't care to go back really. Let me put it this way, this is the end of the series. Like Spock is probably a little tired. I mean yeah. I mean McCoy says he's not acting logical and that's the the first indication that we have that that is the case. Yeah. That that he doesn't want to find a way back because Spock always wants to find a way back. Yeah, he gives up a little too easily and yet like I I it it does it. I, I I feel it could be earned as him saying like I'm just kind of. How many more of these am I gonna go through? This one is fine. Like out, right. of, out of all the horrible planets to be trapped on, this one at least I have a hot wife. I I, I feel that that might it might even be part of his thing. Like here's a here's something he's settling for. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, I, I don't think there's too much else to say about this one. But the Thank other God. thing I will mention is I, there was one little moment in the episode that I really liked where they first uh, find Zarabeth and they tell her, oh, you know, we're space travelers yeah. and blah, 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 you know. And she says, oh, I have enjoyed books about those subjects. <laughs> and just like Zarabeth is a sci-fi nerd, which I yeah. kind of like. And I think that, you know, that might be the first that might be the first moment when Spock is interested in her. And I like and what I also like is that when she's like, oh, my God, that's a book. Oh, God, I'm going insane, you know. And I like the way he convinces her. He says, well, I'm convinced of my own reality, so right. I don't think you're going mad. And, you know, that is a moment where that immediately she stops and thinks she's like, yeah, I guess so, you know. And I think there may be even a moment of, a, well, if I'm going mad, at least, you know, my delusion's kind of cute. <laughs> yeah, that could be. And that, could I, be. I mean, that, that it goes both ways for both of them, you know. Yeah. She's figuring, well, I'm stuck here, but... At least I don't mind the guy I'm stuck with, you know? And isn't that life for all of us? Yeah. 
Just looking for that person you don't mind being stuck with. In the Ice Age. I liked that they tried to phaser the rock, which we saw in an earlier episode, if you remember. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, at one point, like, Chekhov was like, it's cold. And he, like, phasers a rock and, like, they're heating their hands on it. And they tried to do that in this episode. Oh, I missed that. It, yeah. But, like, the phaser doesn't work for no reason. Just because they want it to be cold. Well, yeah, because they bought all of that, like, fake snow. All right. So how many triples would you give this one? I would give this, like, four triples because they really tried hard to make, like, sets and like costumes and stuff and darn it they had extras in this episode so it's like gee willikers they were really trying it was a it's 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 a pity fuck four triples but it's four triples yeah i think that's accurate and i mean you know i will say that Uh, that that this late in the series i think the library set was quite good and you know at least they're still trying a little bit it had a good premise i like the idea of the, the I, I, I like the idea of, you know, escaping a disaster by going into the past. They didn't do as much as of it as they could have. They don't characterize the secondary character because there are three essentially major secondary characters and none of them really get much done to them. But, you know, they darn it. Gets, gets they, a three three point four seven for me. Oh, well, I've give, I don't like to be stingy with my triples. I've got like a billion of them. They keep breeding. Okay, well, let's move on to the last episode of Star Trek, the original series, Turnabout Intruder. So, Turnabout Intruder, otherwise known as Hysteria, the episode. It sucked the end, bye! I actually don't think it's terrible. No, it was a very... I think it's... it's... I had my eyes glued to the set for the most of it. It's compelling. It's hard not to watch it. And, you know, we can get more into this perhaps later, but it being the last episode of the show, it's extremely anticlimactic. I don't think anybody involved in this really knew that they were making the last episode of the show. And... That's pretty much it. Yeah, it was a regular episode. It's a regular episode. There's no resolution. And... As the last, I mean, you know, I think there's more weight given to this one just because it is the last episode of the show aired. You could have, pro- I mean, it, I, it, but it's not a series for now. As no, as things go, it's 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 a fine episode. It's just sad that this is the the, the, the this is the last thing they go out on. Yeah, because like, this it's, is a very sad swan song. Is this episode sexist or is it really sexist? Because <laughs> I have serious problems with the way that the character of Janice Lester is portrayed. And I also have serious problems with a lot of the incidental dialogue that surrounds her. And also they extrapolate it out to all women this is an episode where they assume that rad femme is all feminist i had to check that this wasn't written by robert block i would say you know who wrote this and uh, uh i does he have a restraining order against his wife or does she against him like i don't think they had restraining orders in 1969 but uh, you know what i mean like the, the, the someone had some issues in this episode it's it's 
I mean, you know, I don't know too much about the history of the theory of hysteria and, and diagnosis of that and, and whatever. I mean, I understand that that was a, 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 a you know, a, a... Well, essentially what it was was that... Yes, please help me because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I don't remember if it was thought to be hormonal or just a physical thing, but something to do with the uterus administration was thought to make specifically women insane. Hysterectomy, hysteria have the same root. Um, Right. A a hysterectomy was originally done to remove the uterus to calm down, calm women down. Actually, that's one of the first reasons vibrators were invented was to, it was believed that orgasms would release cramping, which would cause, uh, you know, mental stability. And let me put it this way. If you are regularly masturbating, you will be calmer. Yes. It helped in that sense. Um, Freud, you know, dealt with more of a talking cure form of this because, I mean, this was a malady of that age. Um, hysteria is not diagnosed anymore because, number one, it's found that there are no, were no – that was not the medical reason. Behind. It's not a real – it's not a real disorder. Well, it's one of those – I mean, me- let's mental not – Mental disorders tend to let's – not, Let's not beat around the bush. The diagnosis of hysteria was an anti – it was an anti-woman yeah. thing used to, to to beat them down. I mean, the, the mental the, disorders are the fact of the matter is to certain ages. I mean, right now depression is a thing. In fifty years, depression may not exist as a mental disorder. We may have a completely different one. There are s- certain disorders that are actually hyperlocal to certain times and places. Yeah, um, sure. So one and one of general psychology will suggest that you know the exact symptoms of the the the, the that categorized hysteria aren't as common or are found under other disorders now. Um, When exactly that happened, I'm not sure. And I I believe that the 60s to 70s, at least given what was going on as far as feminism in women's lib at the time, whether that was a direct reason for hysteria being taken off the DSM or what, I'm not sure, but I can see them... I don't know if one was a direct cause or they were both uh, I'm, I'm actually the same exact. Time. I'm actually not really sure. And I don't yeah. know too much about the history of the, of the DSM. That, this is around the point where my knowledge peters off. If you can't, I mean, we, we should explain if you don't know the DSM is basically the, the, the psychologist Bible and it, it, it contains all of the legitimate mental disorders that, that people have. If you have any further questions on the DSM or, or, or uh, psychological issues, please do not ask to Star Trek podcasters. Um, now, I think I think you know in general the DSM is prescriptive more than it's descriptive, and there's, I mean, I know that there are a lot of issues with um, insurance companies and and, and doctors and things mm-hmm. like that um, using the DSM to diagnose things based on what is in the actual book as opposed to what is wrong with them, there and are certain, deny and, yeah. and insurance companies denying treatment to people because of the fact that. They're, they don't have something wrong with them because it's not in the DSM, which obviously is a problem. And vice versa, things like homosexuality was on the DSM for a while, and that was struck down. So yeah, it was complete removed. opposite, something which we are not considering a disorder uh, being used to. I'm trying to remember where gender dysphoria is. I believe at this time it's not, 
or at least a couple of years ago when I first there, found the, out that, I, I was actually reading but an I know article about a... this um, just in the past day or so that they're um, they've just uh, they've just revised. Okay, I know it's definitely been the DSM, about and I don't know what's in it, but it, it is it has just been revised. The new version is out. Okay, um, I mean this is all a side tangent, really, yeah. but I think it's instructive to talk about because we can't ignore. You know what what was going on in in society when this episode was being aired, and and the, the, the views of women were obviously changing because we're in the late '60s now, almost in the, into the '70s, and so more women are working, more women are taking control of their lives. You know, there's really interesting things about what women were seen as as being able to do, and there yeah. was a fascinating interview that I heard with Ruth, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. No, it wasn't Ruth Bader Ginsburg. It was um, uh, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. <laughs> One of those three names. And and she was bringing up the fact that uh, you know she was maybe it was Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Well, anyway, uh, that that it was Mother Teresa. That you know a lot of the court cases that were being decided for women's rights in the sixties and seventies. Um, were were not these overarching sort of like you have a right to be a woman and you can do whatever you want. It was baby steps. You know, you had these court cases where they were going to the Supreme Court saying, okay, a woman can uh, can own, not own property, but can sort of like, can make financial decisions without a man. Like things like that. I mean, these were real problems. Yeah. Like, there were laws on the books that said that a woman well, couldn't sign a loan. Was... I mean, this, you know, the, and this was, a, this was as recently as like the 1960s. Yeah. And so the implication there always was like, well, you don't do anything because your, your husband has to take care of this. And, and women basically divorcing themselves from that attitude and becoming their own people. And so I think a lot of what we see in this episode is, a throwback to that viewpoint. Well, here's see, we've seen the person who wanted to be a starship captain who had some kind of friendship or relationship with Captain Kirk for one reason or another was considered not to be as good a captain as a cap of a captain who tried to take over, but whose own inabilities and insecurities made it impossible to, and kind of, proved why Kirk had this honor over that person. We've seen that already. There was that other starship captain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was genuinely seen as not quite competent enough, not, you know, if you're a starship captain, you need to be on 10, 24-7. And if you are ever at 9.9, you fail. Well, uh, th- I... I uh, I, I know, I know what you're getting at, yeah. and I, 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 I know exactly the line that you're thinking of, which is very, very early on in the episode when they beam down, and Janice Lester is, is in the bed convalescing yeah. because of radiation poisoning. You know, she says to Kirk, "Your your world of starship captains does not admit women," and yeah. and he many <laughs> many people have interpreted that line to mean that women could not be starship captains. I actually disagree with that. Okay. I, I think that. It's obvious from the the context of the episode and from lines that are in the episode that Janice Lester and Kirk had some sort of romantic physical relationship yeah. at some point in the past when they were both at Starfleet Academy. And that her saying that is not an indication of, well, she could not be a starship commander because she is a woman. It is Kirk and his ambition to be a starship captain makes it impossible for him to have... A meaningful long-term so relationship words, with a woman. Yeah, your your does not 
admit relationships or does not admit romance or something like that. Right. I'm, I'm not sure whether I agree or not because hadn't she left Starfleet? I well, it it, is, I also got I got their sense they did have some political differences and perhaps she. It's complicated by the point that she is legitimately kind of insane. Well, and there's no eh. reason given for her insanity other than she's a hysterical woman. Well, that's the thing. If the, if the episode had gone where she had been, you know, they had had political differences and she, you know, that was what broke up the relationship. And she found that Starfleet was not as inclusive an organization as she would have liked it to have been, which, you know, Kirk admits, Kirk would admit to. Um, I think... You know, the choice for her might have been between, well, try and work through the ranks and work really hard and maybe, or, I am I mean, she's obviously, she's a doctor. She is in another field. She has found success in that field. Um, it's not the dream she wanted for herself, but I got the sense she went into the sciences or whatever to at least get something. We have seen plenty of female scientists in the in start, in the series. We It's true. We have seen no female captains, and we won't till... Uh, one of the other later series, right? We we see fe- we see female captains. I'm not sure if we see a female captain in any of the movies, but we do see female captains in the next generation. So it, it does and, it does happen. And maybe that is kind of part of you know maybe and that also, would have been where it had gone. Maybe Kirk feels that well, you know, we need people who are women who are super competent to show why you know well, we should have female commanders. Maybe that would have been. I think it's I think it's difficult to I think it's difficult yeah, to divorce to. this episode from the context in which it was made. Of course, of course, because we were at a point in 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 American society and Western society where women had to be hyper confident yeah. and had to be hyper competent and had to basically act like men in order to be in, yeah. in power. Um, so in that sense, I think it's difficult to look at this episode in any other way. At the same time, I'm not sure that it's justified to read the episode no. in that way. Because, because she is specifically... I, 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 the episode's yeah. trying to have it both ways. It's trying to make an, it's yeah. trying to make a, blank, a blanket statement on women in the workforce, and it's also not doing that. And it's, it's very specifically about Janice Lester and her mental disorders. Yeah, we've seen plenty of out-and-out villains on the series... It's fine for her to be a crazy ex-starship captain who wants to kill Captain Kirk, who is this person from his past that, you know, she has planned for years and years to destroy. Like, that would be a fine thing. And, and it's, if, it's, if they had made it, even if they had made it about, you know, this is her revenge for, you know, dumping her, essentially. Yeah, but I can, I, that at least would, it would stay at a personal level between the two of them. This he ba- he basically says, you know, she's acting that way because she hates her own femininity. At one point, yeah, he says, like, like it's very specifically says, no, this is any woman who had a position of power would not be able to do this because she does not in any way possess the right stuff that it takes. I mean, it's it's a confused episode, and I'm not yeah. sure what it's trying to say about women, but I'm not sure that the episode knows either, and. I can go two ways about this. I can say, well, it's it's kind of incidental that Janice Lester is a woman, and it isn't at the same time. I guess it's it's a problem. I feel like she hasn't. I mean, I don't feel that this person, insane or not, would act in this particular way, as in when you 
when she has her captain's logs, they're essentially, well, I've taken over the ship! <laughs> and I don't get the sense that I feel like somebody who would have got into this point, who would have been plotting for this years, would have a little bit of a better thought-out plan than she does. I, but she's a woman, Richard. Yeah, that's it. Like, she basically says, like, I just... And at one point, she's like, I need a little bit more experience, which, legit, she this really is her first week, no matter how much you study. Practical advice is a different thing, you know? But And then I'll get it. I don't think it justifies being a simple, well, she believed that this would be an easy job, and she always thought that the... If they had gone into... You know, she always said that the reason that she was not a starship commander was because, you know... It was a sexist organization against yeah. that. But at the end of the day, she she may be a really great – what is exactly her job? I don't know. She may be a really great doctor and a really shitty starship captain, and that has nothing to do with being a man or a woman. That's just she's – she – but she chased the wrong dream, essentially. Well, yeah, and let me let me float this theory out to you: is that you know she she left Starfleet, you know, basically, um, you know, and and she was never given a command, not because she's a woman, but because she's kind of crazy. Yeah, I was going to say I I can't necessarily picture her doing well in Starfleet because she doesn't really know how to command a crew now well she doesn't she doesn't a lot know of how that to command have, a crew which and... a lot of that this crew is a crew that kirk is hand selected and hand picked and of course you know sulu Chekhov, you know random you know lieutenant that's not a hurrah um you know i think all of way... those yeah all of those people are used to kirk's command and are a well-oiled machine when kirk or even spock is on there and so there is an element where she can't command this crew because it's not her crew I think I think in 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 some respects, Janice Lester would make a better Klingon commander than a, than a Starfleet commander mm. because when her back is up against the wall, she becomes very violent. She becomes very vindictive. She um, th- tries to keep everyone in line through threats of force and, yeah. and charges of mutiny. And She's at the good- end of the day, that's much more like a Klingon than a Starfleet captain. She's a good wartime consigliere, please. Probably. Yeah. That's yeah. that and yeah, that's actually might not be a good point. I can see her she would probably do very well in a firefight commanding a ship. I'm sure yeah, she studies up on you know, military tactics, she probably could do a good job, but she's just not good at the peace shit. Right, and I'll put it. To, I'll, I'll float another theory to you. If Starfleet was more of a military organization, perhaps she would be a better starship commander than Kirk. Maybe because Kirk's job does have a lot of tactical, military, you know, knowledge needed to to, to handle this. But it also is a peacekeeping mission. He's a diplomat. Um, all of these things it, go into that, and so she's not good at that stuff. Starfleet and, and, it, and Kirk explicitly says, like, uh, you know, there was an episode a couple weeks ago where an alien comment job on the weapons and he says oh those are solely defensive like we, right if we there are you know where come on there are times we're going to be attacked but we are never attacking with these and if, right. they, if the guns if the phasers were used for aggression yeah yeah i think huh. that, yeah i think that she would be um what do you what do you think about the body switching thing because we've been talking a lot about janet lester in command but we haven't really touched on we haven't even mentioned the fact that that the episode is a body switching episode here's the thing um and see, one of the most prominent body switching episodes of TV series that I think of is the one of Buffy, where Faith and Buffy switch places. Mm, yeah. Now we have seen spoilers, Richard. 
Oh, yes, there's a character named Faith on Buffy. <laughs> um, by that point in the series, we have seen both Faith and – we've seen Buffy a million times, and Faith has been a recurring antagonist, was a main character for a season. Um, we know these two very well, and, you know, now Sarah Michelle Geller is much better at being uh, – Larsa Dushku, then, you know, Larsa Dushku said being Sarah Michelle Geller. But the point is, uh, the point is at that, that point, we know what we know what Faith they act in like. Buffy's body is going to be like, and we know what Buffy and Faith's body is going to be at. Like, and and between the writing and the acting, they carry the sense of being someone in another person's body, and we can we can see their behaviors because we know these characters. We see Janice Lester for about all of three minutes, and she's. Die, you know, dying and unconscious through those three minutes. So we don't know what she's like. Yeah, we don't know. Is she, is this just she's in? She's really bad under pressure, and you know, maybe when she's just doctoring and having a normal day, like she's totally fine. Except she's just really bad in a crisis. That could be a thing too. We don't know. There, there was so little that you could say about her because we don't. See her normal behavior. At the same time, I think there are little touches in the episode. I, you know, I, I, I think that that Shatner does a better job acting like Janice Lester than than the woman who plays Janice Lester does at acting like Kirk. I think I, I love that. This is one of those Shatner does take the opportunity to ham it up, but it works. Like well, he, well, I mean, I don't think he's really hamming it up. I think at the very end he is when yeah, he's doing yeah, all yeah. his gyrations about, oh, the body is leaving, you know, the brain is leaving my body, and ah, uh, you know. But at the point, but, I picture her being a, a raving lunatic, mad, mad, and mim type. So it's okay that he's going crazy. But there are little things that he does where, like, he's just a little bit softer in his actions and in his voice sometimes. Um, he, there's one point there's, like, where he like rubs his hair in a very yeah. funny way, like just that would be just an you know he's, unconscious she plays with her hair thing and would not be his it's there were a lot of weird mannerisms yeah he um there, at one point he's in his quarters talking to McCoy and he has a, a nail file and he's I just kind of like that. idly filing his nails like little things like that which you know I don't think were in the script that's totally Shatner doing that kind no. of stuff bringing that into it and so yeah yeah, yeah the the ticks of a woman are different from the ticks of a man and you know that's I think he does an okay job yeah. with it. Um, I don't think that he generally moves like a woman. I don't think that she attempts to move like a man. Of course, they do have very different frames, and that alone will... At the same time, though, I think you could have probably well, tried a little could, more. He doing a slightly slower gait or something like that. Her strutting, I don't know. But I think it's fine as far as that goes. You know, I, I, I think... I, I take your point that... If we had known, let, let's say that this had been an episode where um, Uhura and Kirk switch bodies. Yeah. Or Nurse Chapel and McCoy switch bodies or, or if, something like or that. Or if, uh, and I have already forgotten her name, the lady, the doctor. Janice Lester. Janice Lester. If Janice Lester had been a recurring character in this, like, and this was like her second or third appearance, like if she had been in Harry Mudd, if, if in the second Harry Mudd episode he'd switched bodies with Kirk, that would have been a lot of fun because we know who Harry Mudd is already. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, if, if we'd seen Janice Lester once or twice already and we knew who she was, that would have been more interesting because, okay, oh, you know, that, I, I wanted to see her crazy in her own body for a little bit. Yeah. I would like to have seen an episode where her just doing her own evil stratagems, you know? And then this is, oh, remember Janice Lester, your old girlfriend? Well, she's really sick, and he 
you know, she wanted to see you and Kirk is figuring, okay, well, this is her opportunity to, as she's dying, you know, we'll finally reconcile, but this is her evil plan. I'll, like, put, it, I'll put it to you this way. I think if this show had been made um, even in the time of The Next Generation or, or, you know, God forbid, nowadays, I think that the episode would have been much stronger if Janice Lester had even been mentioned before. Yeah. And if they had had some sort of past that had been, you know, elided, someone had yeah. mentioned it, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe he's reading the space report and Janice Lester is in there as, you know, in command of the, of the chemist to, um, you know, xenobiology or, or archaeological dig or whatever the hell they were doing. Yeah. And little things like that, I think it would have made a little more sense. If even if she had world building done. Yeah, if there had been more world building done, I think it would have been a stronger episode, and I think perhaps we would have been able to get a better sense of who exactly she is. I mean, as it as it stands, this episode has her come across as someone who is deeply, deeply unhappy at her own womanhood, which is yeah. something they even say. I think it, I think they phrase it as like an intense dislike of her own womanhood. Something like it. Yeah, I didn't write it down this time because I was like, what? I, I, I don't think I want to write that phrase down. I'm a little scared, too. Yeah, I just checked. It says intense hatred of her own womanhood. <laughs> yeah, and and it's funny. Again, remember the blind woman episode? Um, that was an episode where you had a complex female character reacting to the latent sexism of the Star Trek universe. I mean, they... She, as a character, was written very differently than the other characters saw her, and that contradiction made that episode much more interesting. Yeah. Here, we don't have a bunch—let me put it this way. When Kirk is saying, well, she's a—this lady's a crazy bitch, he's correct. He's not just ascribing it to, well, you know, when he says the blind woman is jealous, is, you know, is crazy— no, he's ascribing motives that are not there. When he looks at Janice Lester and says, no, she's crazy, she's jealous, and she's hysterical, all evidence does point to that fact. And I think it would have been a stronger episode if the fact that she was a woman was unimportant. Yeah. You don't you don't need her to hate her own womanhood. You don't need her to be hysterical. You don't need her to... You don't need the script to basically feed into all of the terrible stereotypes of a woman uh, me- to have her be an effective villain and have her be an effective force for um the episode i think if it had been an incidental thing and she was a woman and they had had a relationship i mean i think that would have been fine it would have worked fine let me put it this way we've seen female romulan commanders we've seen women in various positions in starfleet while we have only seen male starship captains at that point this point we have seen so few other starship captains that at this point, to think that there were no women starship captains, I didn't even think that that would be a thing, given the series' yeah. general gender equality-ish. Um, while it may not necessarily portray one on screen, and while there may not be many of them, I don't think there are. No- I didn't think there were none of them. And actually, and, yeah. much much later on, um, when we get to Enterprise, I believe that they do establish that there was a female starship captain like yeah. in even even in the time period before the original yeah. series and again so, i can accept that they are very, they are they are few and far between that's an unfortunate side but you know have, if you read the right stuff i mean this they would be all jockey dudes anyway. yeah um but at the and same I could time accept, i could accept that you know you have this woman who you know being a starship commander is open to women but this particular woman as we see when she's being tested is not if she, again, she isn't Starfleet material. 
I can see it being a case of she left Starfleet because she just wasn't doing well enough. And, Absolutely. You know, again, went into whatever field she is in, and that, again, she made it to doctor. She's not a slacker in her own field. Yeah. That says nothing against her that, you know, when she's better at one thing than the other. Um, and yet, and, and yet, at the very end of the episode, we are left with Kirk, Scotty, and Spock walking into a turbo lift, and the other guy who we haven't even talked to, uh, talked yeah. about in the orange jumpsuit, who is her friend or whatever. Accomplice, yeah. Uh, her accomplice, yeah. Basically, um, taking her away, and, and there's, we're going to take care of her. Yeah, he's like, I loved her, I'll just take care of her. This is another case of... Where you have the loyal dude who, you know, the, is helping the evil, crazy woman out, and when they fall in love at the end, she just crumples into his arms, and finally he's going to be able to be the protector he always was yeah. meant to be. Yeah. So. I, 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 I have to come to the conclusion that the episode is is sexist, but... You know, it 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 very easily could not have been. It was sexist due to shitty writing, and this guy's. I think sexist due to shitty writing and sexist due to due to cultural assumptions. I was gonna, like I said, there was something going on in this. It seems like there was something a little more personal going on with this guy. I really have the feeling that he has an ex-wife that he has mixed feelings. I'll put I'll I'll, I'll put it this way, you know. The patriarchy obviously affects women, yeah, but it also affects men, and I think this episode is a perfect example of how it affects men. I can see that it's neither side is able to understand the other, and so you have this really shitty episode, which number one belittles you know the the inequalities of women and also suggests that uh men can never understand their problems. I mean, this entire series has had that as kind of a underlying thing. I'm going to be really interested in seeing 20 years later what how they talk about that cuz I know I've seen I know I've seen the outfits that counselor Troy gets to wear. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, you'll also see men wearing mini skirts. Uh, yeah, and that. Uh, so let me put it this way: if both women and dudes are going to be wearing sexy outfits, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, you know, let, let me put it this way: we're all people. Like we like to see attractive people in skimpy outfits. That's a thing, you know. Give us, give us some of both. Hey, hey, the asexuals do not. No, we, have if, to, we have to remember that they exist. I find a lot of asexuals like dating sims and talk about how cute the little bishy boys are. All right. Well, we're done. I'm going to give this 10 tribbles because it's over. I will also give it 10, except I will give it 10 mm. minus 10 for zero tribbles. Okay, that's a good idea. Next week, we will cover the first two episodes of the animated series. I am super excited for that. Beyond the Farthest Star and Yesteryear. After we are done with that, and there's uh, there are 22 episodes of the animated series, so we're we're gonna do two per episode, same as 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 the original series. Once we're once we're done with the animated series, we will, will we then... find out why no one on the internet has done an episode by episode retrospective of the animated series. Is that I feel like that's prob- going to be we the, probably will that will be the end of that experiment. So, folks, you are in for a treat. After we're done with that, we're going to move into the original series movies. Okay. So we're going to do those. There's six of them. We can get popcorn. We can get popcorn. They have this chocolate-covered popcorn at the bodega. It's awesome. 
And then after we're done with that, we're going to move right into The Next Generation. And there are many more episodes of The Next Generation. So uh, after the after basically after the the summer, I suppose, uh, we're going to start moving into Next Generation about uh, late August, uh, September time frame. And it's going to be like three years, isn't it? It took us about a year to cover original. It's not going to be three years. I think it's uh, two years. Only two years. Something like that. But we don't need to think about that. Yeah. How old am I going to be when we're done with this project? I don't know. I'm not even paying attention anymore. 40. I'm going to be like, "Ah, come to track about Shani. And I think once we get to the original, once we get to the next generation, it should be really interesting. I'm ready. I'm and ready. I think the movies will be interesting, and I think the animated series will be interesting as well. And I think DS9 will be interesting, and Voyager will be interesting because it has Tuvok, and then we get Enterprise. Yep. I'm really looking forward to Enterprise. So that's what's happening. Prepare yourself for that. And thank you for listening to us ramble about the first original series, and we've been very glad for your support. Please rt and send to your friends yeah yeah and uh once more if you would like to please go on itunes and give us a rating that would help us out a lot and follow us on twitter truck about show that's it so we'll see you next week for beyond the farthest star and yesteryear